Fairhill Church, it's good to be with you. If kids want to head out to the kids' lesson, they can head back to the lobby. Miss, Miss Amy will be there waiting for you. All right. It's good to be with you. Uh, today we are looking at uh, kind of a follow-up to last week. We've been dealing with, uh, well, Jesus has been dealing with, uh, the struggle of unbelief. The struggle of unbelief, and that has kind of woven its, itself through uh, so much of the last passages, and today uh, we have kind of a turning point. So, so far the disciples, they haven't been doing very well. Uh, they have been failing miserably to understand who Jesus was. They can't anticipate what he's going to do. They don't expect him to do miracles. They don't expect him to have power. They don't expect him any, really anything from him because they, they don't know who he is yet. But here in chapter 8, we see this kind of crucial shift with Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And with that, the the whole of Mark kind of turns on a dime and suddenly we're in a, a whole new world. Jesus now is not so much engaging with the crowds as he is now forming his disciples, these ones who will carry this message of Jesus as the Messiah uh, forward to the next generation. He shifts a little bit from healings to teaching, to telling them about the kingdom and, and the nature of his rule now that they understand where he really stands. And finally, it's, it's kind of focusing more intently on the disciples themselves, not so much on the people, but on the disciples. And that's kind of what happens as we, we shift in our own understanding to, to real belief, as we come to understand who Jesus really is, uh, there's this movement away from kind of the thinking about the miracles and Jesus proving who he is. And now we ask, okay, what does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to, to wrestle with who this Jesus really is? And my ongoing unbelief. So we have these kind of two categories here. We have the the people who are unbelievers now, and they're not sure who Christ is, this story is for them, but it's also for us as we continue to struggle with unbelief. How do we engage with Christ, and how do we grow in areas of, of darkness and blindness to who Christ is? And so with that, we're going to look at, uh, at three things. We're going to look at uh, symbolic healing, a supernatural confession, in our ongoing relationship. So symbolic healing, supernatural confession, ongoing relationship. Let's look at Mark 22. Mark 22 verses 30. Uh, Mark 8 verses 22 through 31. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes once again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly, and he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly told him to tell no one about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you open the eyes of the blind, that you unstop the, the ears of the deaf, and you reveal to us who Jesus Christ actually is. Father, we thank you that this is not a, a one-time occurrence, but this is an ongoing mercy that you pour out upon your children to give uh, faith and understanding where there's only darkness. So, Father, we ask that you would continue to do that work, that you would show us how we are still unbelieving and blind. And, Father, would you open our eyes and would you help us to see Jesus? And, Father, would you help us to, to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the gospel and in our love for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so we begin with this symbolic healing. Now, I say a symbolic healing because uh, that's just what it is. It's not so much about the healing itself. And we shouldn't be too surprised by that because we saw a story just uh, two weeks ago that was almost exactly parallel to this one. We saw a lot of the same traits. It was uh, a deaf man this time, but he was led away and he was in kind of the privacy with his disciples his ears were unstopped, and he was able to speak using that same spit that we see in this passage, which is great, uh, and the same charge to tell no one. And we remember talking about how the fact that this wasn't about the Gentiles hearing. This wasn't about uh, just general healing. This was about the disciples. needed They needed to hear the message of the gospel and bring that gospel message to the Gentile world in the future. Now, we had that, then Steve preached last week about what the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 4,000 where Jesus rebukes his disciples for their ongoing unbelief. Remember, they've, they've, this is their second round of the feeding and everyone's hungry, and Jesus says to feed them, and what are we going to do? And, and they, they run around like chickens with their heads cut off once again, and they have no idea how we're going to feed all these people, uh, as if they had never seen it. And what does he say to them? He says to them, 8.18, Having eyes you do not see, and having ears do you not hear. He rebukes them for not being able to hear after healing a deaf man, and rebukes them, for being blind, and here he is now healing a blind man. This is kind of this bridge of two healings that are supposed to apply to his disciples as they deal with this ongoing river of unbelief that it's a bridge for them, that they need to walk over, they need to realize that this needs to happen to them, that they need to be healed in the same way they are blind and they are deaf. Now, what do we get out of this in seeing Jesus equate blindness and deafness to unbelief? All right, first, we see the, the great danger and importance that unbelief plays in the, in the world of, of our faith. All right, you could say that what's, what's the big problem with the world? The big problem is sin. The big problem is sin. 
But that's not to recognize that, that we have a solution for sin. We have a savior. And we are invited to believe upon the one who died for our sins and who can wash us clean and can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say, well, maybe the, maybe the big problem is suffering and maybe Jesus is coming here to, to relieve suffering and that's why he's healing. That's to miss the point of these. It's to miss the point of the miracles. In the end, it's not about the healings themselves. It's about, oftentimes, the person's faith or the faith of those who might see, the faith of the disciples, the faith of the Gentiles. It's ultimately a matter of belief. And that the one thing that can condemn and can destroy more than anything else is that you do not put your faith in the Savior. There already is a solution for sin and for suffering. It's found in Christ. And so what has he come on this earth to do is to battle the reality of unbelief in people's hearts. That that is what is killing people. That is what is going to leave people in the grave. It's because... They refuse to believe their Savior. Now, Tim Keller, he has this, uh, this great, I don't, uh, people don't like it, actually. Uh, it's kind of a quote. Uh, it's someone, someone was trying to, trying to get him, kind of, and they're like, so, so you say all, homosexuals all go to, go to hell then for, for, because of their sin. And he says, you know what? No, no, that's not true. There's only one sin that sends people to hell. It's unbelief. And refusal to believe in a Savior who could take away all of, this, all of the punishment for sin. That's the reality of, of where the danger lies, is in unbelief. We already have a solution for sin. We have a Savior. Now in that, I, I want us to recognize that, all right, is that how you think about unbelief and faithlessness in your own lives? Is that the great struggle when you're, when you're wrestling with something, do you look for the unbelief and the, the lack of faith underneath it? I know we like to look at like, well, I was hungry and I was tired and I, 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 didn't, I had awkward shoes on so I didn't feel comfortable. Like, I, we have a million other things, but deep down, are we, are we not really believing the truth of who Christ is and engaging with him, believing in him, trusting in him? Does your mind even go there? That is the big problem with us is that we are, we are faithless. We have a great Savior to trust in. We just don't trust him. And that's how he's trying to engage his disciples in this healing. But then we say, okay, so if Jesus is up against unbelief and faithlessness, uh, we then see what is the real condition of unbelief? What's really going on in your heart, in your mind, that keeps you from believing? And that's where he, he tells us, and it's a helpful picture, you are blind and you are deaf. I am blind and I am deaf. The people out there are blind and deaf. And we have to let that sink in and say, okay, it's not just that I haven't heard all the right things. Or it's not that I just, I just don't un- quite understand yet. No, the reality is we, we will hear these things again and again and again and again, but because we are deaf, we do not hear them. And Jesus will display his great love for us and his kindness and his mercy and his grace again and again and again and again, and we will not see it because we are blind. 
That's the battle with unbelief. That's the battle within our hearts. That's the the battle that we have with people out there. These things are beyond us. Because in our hearts, we want to be blind and we want to be deaf. We would rather be blind and deaf often than seeing the reality of who Jesus is. In our pride, we'd rather be strong than see that we are desperately weak and need our Savior. In our, in our comfort, we would rather be, be comfortable in ourselves than give ourselves over to the uncomfortable callings of our Savior. Oftentimes, we'd rather have independence than dependence upon a Savior who could actually help us and support us. We would rather fall back on sin crutches than on Jesus Christ. That, that's our heart. And now, you should be thinking, okay, I'm preaching to the choir because many of you, you say, well, I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Like, come on. We're all here. We're, we're here and we've professed our faith but we still have those pockets of unbelief. We still have those areas of blindness and deafness if we're willing to admit it. Now, how do you know, how do you know areas of unbelief in your life? How do you identify them? All right, there's a million ways, but first, uh, ways where the gospel just doesn't seem relevant, when Jesus just doesn't have anything to say. When you'd say, well, what, what does Jesus care about this? I don't, I don't know. Uh, all right, he's Lord over everything. He has something to say. Oftentimes it's because we, we don't want to hear what he has to say ultimately. If he has nothing to say, it's be probably because we have, we've blocked him out. All right, second thing, our emotions. Our emotions will betray our true beliefs. They'll show our real hearts. They'll show where where we're actually engaging or not. And so if we say, yeah, I should have great joy, but we have great despair, it says something about our, our, our belief. If we say, yeah, I, I, no, I, I know I can trust Christ, but I have crazy anxiety, uh, it says something about what we're really believing in. Now, do your emotions dictate truth? No. But your emotions can, dic- can, can reveal your heart. Now, I know some of you, your, your emotional centers are broken. Please don't say, well, then I guess I just don't have belief. Uh, that can be a broken part. But if you recognize, like, there's no emotional connection to the gospel. There's no emotional connection to what Christ has done. It says something about where our hearts are. And finally, areas of sin. We sin because we're not trusting in Christ. We sin because... We have a better solution than the things that Christ has offered us. And behind our sin, we should look for unbelief. Are there promises that we don't believe in? Are there things that I I don't trust Christ to give me? Those are ongoing battles for us. Now, I, remind, I tell us this because you can't just will yourself to believe. 
you cannot will yourself to believe. You cannot just say believe, believe, believe again and again. And because of that blindness, because of the, the deafness, because of our hearts. And so then, how does, how does Jesus... How does Jesus offer a solution to unbelief? It is by his miraculous working in our hearts and in our minds, giving us eyes to see and giving us ears to hear. That it's, it's he who works belief in us as an outpouring of his grace and his mercy. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while. It takes a while. And that's right, I like this passage because it's, uh, most people don't like, or like, find this really weird because uh, why does Jesus fail in his first attempt at the miracle? Why does he fail at first? All right, it's weird, it's weird. And, he, and this is the only time where he asks, you know, like, so did, did the miracle work? And he's like, kind of, partially. Uh, but I see people walking around like trees. All right, not a total success. And that's right. It's helpful to see the parallel here and say, okay, that kind of makes sense. That we are, we are works in faith progress. And even if you've made a profession of Christ, there, there still is unbelief there. There are ways that your eyes still need to be opened. And this is the progressive working of God in us by his spirit through Christ. He's still working. He's still working. And just some of the ways that he works, he works by repetition over and over and over again. All right, remember the the miracles that Jesus did? They are almost identical to each other because people just don't get it. I tell you that, both partially for my own sake, because I'm going to tell you the same thing again and again and again. That Jesus loves you and that he died for you and you have he's poured out grace and mercy upon you. You have no need to do performance anymore and you will not hear it. And then I'm going to tell you again uh, in two weeks. Yeah, that doesn't mean what well, Peter does just had nothing to say this week. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't come up with anything interesting. We need to find some new stuff. Uh, no, that's intentional. Steve and I could say again the same things uh, because we and we don't believe them and we need to hear them again. that we, we only have so many truths to offer. And if we really believed the, the five key truths of what, who Christ is and what he's done for us, our lives would be completely changed. But we don't. And so we say them again and again and again. Jesus did that for his disciples um, and is, for someone perfect, he's remarkably less patient than I would expect him to be. You know, he like he recognizes they they're not getting it. I've said this before. Uh, that's how we engage with with hearts that are broken and deaf and blind people is we need to hear it and see it again and again. Now the other thing is uh, this doesn't mean this doesn't mean that you throw up your hands and say I keep hitting this thing. <laughs> uh, we don't just throw up our hands and then say, you know what, so I'll just wait. I'll just wait and I'll sit around and wait for my belief to come. No, Jesus uses real means. He uses his word. He uses the demonstrations of who he is and what he's done 
to build in us belief. And so if we have our eyes, we're trying to have our eyes open and our ears open and are engaging with the things that he has given us, he will build belief in us in miraculous ways that will feel like I was blind and now I see, I was deaf and now I can hear. He is doing that work in all of us. He promises to do that work. Are you engaging with that? Are you ready to hear? Are you wanting to see? All right. Will you admit you're blind? Will you admit that you're blind? And second, will you believe that you have a Savior who can make you see? Because you do. Please do not give up hope that you are, you're struggling to believe and you just don't, don't understand, you don't know, you can't. We have a Savior who can do that and who can build belief in us. We trust him to do that work in spite of us oftentimes. Now, all right, that takes us to our second our second kind of half here. And, uh, we see all of this now at play in Peter's life. So Peter is actively going through this process. Uh, his eyes are being opened right before us. Verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. All right. Jesus is making a distinction here that's very helpful. There's a difference between what other people say about Jesus and what you say about Jesus. And in the end, no one cares what other people say. Like, I... I care what you say about Jesus. You in your heart of hearts, who do you say that I am? And that's where, okay, kids. For too long, you, the, the question is, who, who do my parents say that Jesus is? For those of you who are struggling in doubt, you've been saying, well, like the, the church says this is who Jesus is, and the Bible says this is who Jesus is, and I'm up here saying who Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? As you go out and share your faith, that is the, the ultimate question that it comes down to and the question that we could ask people. Okay, you've been engaging with this stuff. Who do you think Jesus actually is? And it gets through all of the muck and all of the, I don't know if I agree with this and I don't know about that. And it's just, is Jesus a savior or not? Do we believe in the miracles? Do we think he actually did these things? Do we think that he has proved himself? Or what will you do with him? Who do you say that he is? And, all right, he's a, to say that he's a prophet and a teacher, all right, that's, uh, that's not enough. Okay, that's often what the crowds have been saying. They say, yeah, oh, he's a prophet. And sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, they kind of got it. That's pretty good. Uh, doesn't count. That does not count. All right, that's like saying, I was trying to think of a parallel for this. It's not great. But like that Michael Jordan was like a mediocre baseball player. All right, he was that. 
But you, that's, not, that's not a great definition of who he was. All right, so play, like, that's totally, totally missing the whole picture. All right, he was a great basketball player. If you didn't get that, then you didn't understand who he was. All right, uh, some of you, do, yeah, if you didn't know that. That's, I, I barely know that, so I shouldn't be teaching you. Um, all right, so... Uh, What does Peter say? Peter does not say he's a prophet. He doesn't say he's Elijah. He doesn't say he's just one more in a line. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And that's where everyone else is expecting Jesus to be. You know, one more step to getting to something better. And the, yeah, he, he's pointing forward to something greater. There's, there's something better to come, and it never seems to come, and they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And Peter finally says, you know what? No. I think, I think he's actually come. There is no more waiting. There's no more preparation. Jesus is the person we have been waiting for. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is the one who will sit on David's throne. He is the seed. He is the offspring of Eve. He is the, the one we have been waiting for. This is it. There is no more waiting. The time has come. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, in saying that, what is he saying? What is he revealing? He is, this is blindness being healed. This is deaf ears finally being unstopped. He has finally seen it for himself. And Matthew, Matthew calls this out uh, even better than Mark does. Matthew 16, 17 Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That by the power of God, Peter is finally able to say this and see Jesus for who he is. He is King. He is Christ. He is the one who is going to come and has finally came. Now, I want us to recognize that right, if you're able to say that, if you're able to say that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for, uh, you need to recognize that is, that is a miraculous work by the power of God that you are able to say that. And we should celebrate that in the same vein as someone going from, from blindness to sight. And that's where I, I hear you talking, and we're often pretty defeatist. And we say, you know what, I just, I don't, I don't have great faith, and, you know, I sin all the time, and maybe I'm just not a good enough Christian. Like, all right, it is miraculous that you are able to even engage and say that Jesus is the Christ. And that you'd want to come here and worship, and that you proclaim his name, that you have confessed that he is your Savior. That is a miraculous work. And that should be celebrated. Because there, there are lots of people who are raised in the, the right environment and don't come to that. There are lots of people who have been given all the facts and all the figures and are not able to say that. There are people who used to be able to say that and say it no longer. And the fact that, that if you are willing to say that, 
that is the miraculous working of God in your life. And you should look for a miraculous God to be working in your life again and again and again. That is you being chosen. That is the Holy Spirit opening your eyes. That is him engaging with you. Please do not think that that is not enough. That is, that is the thing. And that's where I ask us, are, is, our, is, our, is our profession, is our confession of Christ something that we just hold so dearly that we are amazed by the fact that we could possibly believe this because in our sin we so don't want to and cannot. I thank you that I get to be with you all because you have professed Christ and you have great faith and it is a, a joy to gather together and to profess him together. Amen? All right. Now, that then says, okay, so wh- where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? All right, this doesn't mean then that, all right, Peter's, Peter's done. All right, he's far from done. All right, within like three verses, he's going to be rebuked for his satanic unbelief. So he doesn't get very far, and that's okay. Like that's, that's where, all right, this is him giving like, so he has fuzzy walking trees belief right now. And he's going to be continually worked upon. Christ is going to walk alongside him and bring him along. And that's where, like, when we come to faith, please don't think this is just the pray the sinner's prayer and you're done. I know many of you don't think that. But now you get to engage with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where this shift comes in Mark, and suddenly Jesus isn't talking about, hey, believe in me, believe in me. He's saying, like, no, understand who I am. Understand what I'm about. Yes, I'm king. You don't understand the kingdom yet. Yes, I'm king, but you don't quite understand how I, how I want to rule. We still need our eyes opened. We still need more and more healing and miraculous working that we might really understand the things of Christ. And that's where, at that point, Jesus says, uh, or Mark says, above Jesus, verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now, we're going to get deeper into this, this is, but you can, you can profess Christ but not really understand what he's like and understand the, the humility and the sacrifice and the, the mercy and grace of Christ, the depth of his love, the willingness that he's to go for, to save sinners. Peter doesn't understand that yet. He's going to get that horribly wrong and we're going to talk about it next week, but I, re- I remind you now, we have a great Savior. And each and every one of us, we have, we have a mere inkling of his greatness and his glory and his beauty and his love for us. 
and the extent of the glorious things that he is doing in our lives. And I ask us just to engage with our Savior, to love him and trust him, and to, to keep asking him to open our eyes and see the glorious things that he's doing, that we might love him and enjoy him more. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you recognizing that, first of all, we, 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 many of us were blind and were deaf, and you gave us, in spite of ourselves, the ability to see and hear the gospel, and we thank you for it. We would be completely helpless without your coming to us and saving us and breaking past our sinful hearts. So we thank you for that work. And we, Father, we ask that it would continue. We ask that it would continue in the lives of the unbelievers that we, we love and interact with on a daily basis. Father, would you be opening their eyes and would you be unstopping their ears and be revealing to them the glories of Jesus? And Father, would you expose the areas of blindness and deafness in our own hearts? And Father, would you tear them out of us that we might love and see our Savior? Would you continue to do the work uh, that we may delight in you and praise your name? We pray in Jesus Christ's name.